Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes burlesque performer and producer Matt Knife, hailing from Brooklyn, New York. The producer of his own show, Homo Erectus, Matt Knife discusses his performing and producing career, including some of the recent projects involving your host, Matt Storm, specifically the Pink Room Burlesque's tribute to Mulholland Drive. He chats about his style of performance, and what it's like to debut a new act that's never been performed before, and his artistic background in theater production and costuming, and how that's informed his burlesque career. On these subjects, and Matt's other artistic endeavors, including a love of painting, here's presenting Matt Storm and Matt Knife. And welcome to another episode of Crash Chords Autographs. I'm, of course, Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, and my guest today is the one and only Matt Knife. Matt, thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, I'm very excited to have you on. Um, I've been working with you for a while, mostly through um, The Pink Room, which we both love very dearly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought I'd start with talking a little bit about um, the most recent show we did, the Mulholland Drive show, because you did an act that I thought was really great, and also found out after the fact that it was the first time you'd ever done it. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was, a, it was a simple concept that was taken to another level that I really liked. It, like. It was, you know, a strip into a reverse strip, but you switched characters. Mm-hmm. So I guess tell me a little bit about, and the listeners, the act, like what it's about relating to Mulholland Drive, how you came up with it, and what it's like to perform an act for the first time, like where, kind of what's going through your head. Great, I love that. Um, so Francine is, uh, you know, is genius, <laughs> and um, I, the Pink Room was one of the first shows that when I first started doing burlesque, I was like, I have to do this yeah. because I love David Lynch, and she kind of reminded me how much I love David Lynch. Sure, because I had kind of put it aside for a while, and Mulholland Drive specifically, because when I saw it, I had been going through a breakup. And the whole last part of the movie is basically her dealing with being, you know, broken up with. Right. So that was, I was like, why is it I haven't watched this movie? Because I remember I liked it, but then when I was watching it, it I was brought like, back all those memories. I was like, oh my God, this is why I've never seen this again. So now I'm over it, you know, whatever. Sure. But um, so, you know, she was doing the show and she was telling me that uh, she was like, you know, I really want somebody to do a cowboy number. And, you know, I love it when producers kind of give me challenges like that. Like, I kind of look at at it like RuPaul's Drag Race, you know? (laughs) It's like, okay, this is my RuPaul's Drag Race challenge. And I was really fortunate because I used to work in a costume shop with this guy named Jose. And Jose's really good about um, giving me clothes and costumes and stuff, even before I started doing burlesque. And he gave me um, this cowboy costume. And it was just so serendipitous. So I was like, okay, I've already got it. So I said yes to Francine. And so I started thinking about it. I was like, all right, well, the song I wanted to use is only two minutes, which is, like, really short for a burlesque act. So I was like... If I play it backwards, then, you know, that'll be really cool. It'll be very Lynchian. Like, it'll be perfect. But I was like, I knew the way the costume came apart that I couldn't get back into it. Right. Easily. And I didn't want to have somebody dress me because I just knew that there wasn't time to rehearse that. And, I mean, there's, like, practical reasons sometimes drive creativity. Or, as they say, mother... um, Necessity is is the the mother mother of invention. invention. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... I I just was like, and you know, I also with Nerdlesque, I love it, but um, I really feel like there's a fine line between like what I call cosplay stripping, which I don't have a problem with, right. and Nerdlesque, which right. is burlesque. So right. cosplay stripping is you put on a Superman costume and you just take it off. Right. And whereas Nerdlesque, I feel like, tells a story. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, what story am I going to tell in this act? And I figured that, you know, burlesque is a transformation. So I was like, okay, well, you know, I, the, 
I think, you know, having watched this scene with the cowboy and the director several times, I was like, okay, wouldn't it be kind of interesting if this character were to strip in front of this person and then all of a sudden was... That person. Was that person. And so it's sort of that whole, like, you know, the cowboy is sort of a reflection of his brain and you know I mean it's just like at least that's how I'm interpreting sure. it because I mean it's Lynch so, so you can, can do whatever you want yeah exactly much. so um, you know I just thought that that would be really interesting and then I found out that Schaefer was going to be the director so I was like this is the final image of this like doing the scene me doing the striptease him coming back on and just sort of being like whoa like this person's dressed just like me I know I thought so, that moment was kind of brilliant because you both stood there in silence for a good minute mm-hmm. before anything happened and I was like wow that, that mm-hmm. was perfectly Lynchian yeah well and it's also that moment of stillness too yeah. to sort of take like and that's what Lynch is really good at and Tigger is really good at as a yeah. performer is just to have that moment moment where the audience can kind of absorb you and what they're seeing yeah because you know burlesque is so kinetic and you know it just it's like you're constantly moving and you know i mean part of it is it's like okay here's my body which i am sharing with you take a minute to absorb that sure and also Minnie Tonka is really good at that too like at the end of her acts like she really takes her time leaving stand there. because she's like I work really hard and this is like you know my applause you yeah. know and so like that was the other thing about it too is that I kind of wanted to have that moment where I could absorb that moment with him and with the audience, and you'd re- and you told me afterwards, like I complimented the actor, like, oh yeah, and it was the first time I ever did it. Mm-hmm. So, does that require more rehearsal, less rehearsal when you're do- debuting an act? Does you know, it depend on the act? It depends on the act, and it also depends on what's going on in your real life. Sure, you know, I mean, because it's like you know, it's unfortunately burlesque is not a lucrative profession. Sure, so there are times where um, you know your real life comes first and the things that are actually paying you money that finance these things. Sure. So with this act, um, I did a lot of rehearsing in my head as I call. Like I, you know, I had, I did the sound edit pretty quickly and then I was listening to it. Like, you know, I listened to it at nauseum. So I like, especially that backwards part where it's like, okay, I want to know where the beats are and things like that. And then um, a few days before the show, I usually try to take at least an hour to a half hour to run through it at least three times and just sort of get it in my head. Um, So that's usually what I do. And then, um, like, if I were to do this act again, like, if it's, like, tomorrow, I would probably run through it three times just to be safe. But then, like, my act, like, my Princess Peach number or Tainted Love, which I know are, like, gelled. Yeah. And... You know, something like that, I might, you know, right before I pack, I put the costume on just to be like, okay, the pasties are here, all this stuff, and then, you know, I'll run through it once, and if it feels good, then I'll pack and get ready for the show. If not, then I'll do it again, or I'll back it up, or do whatever. But, um, yeah, the first time you do an act, it's sort of... You know, it's nerve-wracking because you're not sure what's going to happen. Like, you know, we don't... I come from a production background with costume design, so in burlesque, you don't necessarily get that tech week slash dress rehearsal. So, you know, your costume might not go off the way you want it to you know, you might realize it's like, oh, I have more time at this place to do that. And then, of course, the audience is always the last layer. Right. You know, I mean, it's like you don't know how the audience is going to react. And oftentimes, you know, they react differently to things like the things you think they're going to go nuts for. They maybe just applaud a little bit. Yeah. And then the one like tiny thing that you threw in there, like everybody freaks out about. So it's like learning those things is a big part of it, too. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned your Princess Peach Act, which somehow I had never seen until this year's uh, Nerdlesque Fest, which I DJed. And, like, so I'm a big Mario fan. Mm -hmm. I'm a big Luigi fan, more importantly. Yeah. And, like, talking about you creating a narrative before, like, I saw you come on dressed as Princess Peach, which was delightful enough, Mm -hmm. as it was on its own, but for the strip to reveal that you become a different character and it's not a character you expect, it's like... That kind of stuff is, I think, what makes burlesque really interesting. Yeah. Like the sexiness and the, you know, the sexual energy is all important, and the art mm. artistry is important. But also, a lot of, you know, what Nasty Canasta likes to call the pure stupidity of it is important as well. I love that. And because I think, like, 
like I like burlesque that's sexy and that's artistic and slow paced and beautiful and that's great but because I'm a nerd and my brain functions a certain way and I love comedy like the comedy end of burlesque yeah I really love and especially in boylesque I found like I like sexy boylesque performers but the funnier or more interesting artistic ones are the ones I gravitate towards because mm-hmm. it's where my sensibilities are yeah. so like you and Teddy and Mr. Gorgeous who do a lot of over the top really crazy stuff mm-hmm. um did you find that that was an easier narrative for you to create than the kind of slower paced stuff? Or well, you know, it's really funny you bring this up because this is something I'm really trying to grapple with. Is um, and sorry, I'm very long winded. I'm a Gemini, no, so I can go. And this is this, all of this. I have a lot to say about. This is long form conversational. Um, so personally, you know, I mean, I'm not here to tell anybody what you know boylesque is or sure. what burlesque is and I mean everybody it's personal so but for me and I honestly think that this is I credit a lot of this to my success mm-hmm. um, you know it, I don't understand you know I understand people that like you know they're really good at something and mm-hmm. you know like if you're really good at classic and that's your thing go for it sure. you know I mean if you're brilliant at it do it but personally I sort of feel like you know classic neo nerdlesque neo non-reference you know bearlesque yeah. whatever all the lesks like they all really inform each other and like Princess Peach is a really great example because I developed that as kind of a response to hey I can do a gown and glove act ah, you know yeah. because technically it is classic yeah, I mean it is yeah. a gown and glove act but it's a nerdlesque act because you know Francine really good at that too I mean she's figured out how to make her acts translate in a non-David Lynch show yeah and that's sort of like I think really the key with nerdlesque in a lot of ways so um, you know having said that like you know, I want to do Neo, I want to do classic, I want to do, you know, I want to challenge myself, because, you know, I want to be as well-rounded of a performer. I also want to get booked, you know? Yeah, I don't sure. want people to be like, oh, well, Matt Knife only does comedy, Matt Knife only does this, Matt Knife only does that. Right. And my first act I ever debuted really was, like, because I don't see myself as a sexy person. <laughs> I really don't. Like, I mean, you know, it's like, I, I'm feeling... Which, for the record, folks, is totally not true. He is a sexy person, but continue. <laughs> Thank you for that. And you know what? I mean, I'm 36, and I'm, you know, trying, starting to embrace that more yeah. about myself. Because, you know, I'm skinny. You know, skinny in the gay world, or just like in the male world, is not necessarily seen as being masculine. Right. Or you know and I also hang out a lot in the bear community and skinny is not really a good thing so the body shaming kind of gets reversed the other way sure and it's not seen as masculine and you know and as far as gender expression is concerned you know it's like I'm not the femiest person in the world I'm not the butchest person in the world I'm kind of like in that weird third gender (laughs) queer spot yeah and you know what I'm comfortable with that and that's fine you know I'm kind of the anchovies (laughs) of the world like you know the people that love me love me and the people that that don't love me don't. Right. And you know what? I'd rather have fan base based on that. Sure. But um, so in my like discovery of like where I belong in burlesque, like where I belong in my gender expression and sexuality expression, um, I decided to debut with a sexy dark act because I sort of felt like I needed people to see me as sexy and scary and you know sort of like you know this like aggressive like mat knife you know I mean it's it's but then um so then I started realizing right away that when the acts I was developing I was like okay Matt everything's like a little dark everything's a little like why don't we do something funny and that's when Princess Peach came along and I just like really realized I was a clown, you know, <laughs> and I met Scary Ben and Darlinda and, you know, they do a lot of clowning and they just like, they both kind of looked at me and they were like, you know, you're really a clown. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, you know, I've always been funny. I've always been perverted. I've always been, you know, just like, you know, you know, again, it goes into being a Gemini, you yeah. know, like it's, you know, it's that quick wit. It's the, you know, rapid fire. Um, so, I just started exploring it, but then after a while, I started realizing that everything I was doing was funny, you know? And it's like, you know, I want to... Comedy is so funny, because, I mean, we're in a time right now where everything is so serious, everyone's so angry, 
And, you know, I really believe that one of my purposes in this life is to bring joy and laughter and kindness and compassion. So if I can make people forget their troubles for just that five minutes I'm on the stage, and I know that might sound cliche and stupid, but, you know, I mean, part of art is providing escape for people that don't do art. Right, sure. And so... I'm trying not to beat myself up about that. Like, right. And, you know, Dale Storm actually just wrote an article all about, like, you know, men feeling pressure to be sexy and mm-hmm. to be the comic relief. Because, yeah. you know, when you're a man in a show full of women and the audience is there to see women, it's sort of like, you know, what are they going to do to mesmerize, like, get everybody out right. of there? Exactly. So they're mesmerized by the boobs. Right. And then a dude comes out and then, you know, I mean, you have a straight man who maybe isn't super comfortable in his own skin or sexuality as a man you go out and you know i'm a giant faggot on top of it so you know i'm just like okay here's this gay guy with a hairy ass shoving it in my face like you know and i understand like you know that's that's you know not a comfortable situation for them but Somebody else in that audience, his girlfriend, the, yeah. the guy in the back row, you doing DJ, you know, it's not about sexuality. It's just about like, wow, this is really fun. Yeah. So I sort of feel like, you know, it's men feel like they have to be funny because yeah. it's like a man taking its clothes off yeah. is, you know, it's you know, it's funny because once it starts getting sexy, it gets threatening. Right. And, you know, men start getting uncomfortable because their feelings might, they might be like, oh my God, like I'm getting turned on. And I mean, burlesque has really gotten me to challenge my own sexuality. Like, you know, there are times where I look at, I see female performers performing and I'm like, wow, it's like, that's a beautiful body. And, you know, I could, I'm actually being aroused by this slightly. So, you know, I mean, whether or not I'm going to pursue that afterwards is a totally different thing, but it does put that question mark over your head. Sure. So, it's a very complicated situation but to go back to your question is that like you know sexy is actually kind of terrifying for me and I was backstage with Chris Harder and Poison Ivory and and Stormy Leather who were all very very sexy performers (sighs) yeah and, you know, and that's actually what they said, is they were like, oh, yeah, Matt, sexy is scary. Yeah. Like, I mean, you really have to go out there and, like, you know, you have to grab the audience by the balls and be yeah. like, you know, I'm here and I'm going to I fuck you and every <laughs> single person in here is going to feel something. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not afraid to bum an audience out. I'm not afraid to make them laugh. I'm not afraid to scare them. But, you know, for some reason recently, like, you know, making them feel those kind of feelings is kind of intimidating yeah so again going back to the rupaul's drag race is it's sort of like embracing yes i am sexy yes i um you know i have gifts that way yeah. so i need to just own that so i you know i need to dust off my more sexy acts and sure i'm kind of challenging myself to um develop more that way so it can be, you know, again, well-rounded. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I think diversity is important. It's funny, the three performers you mentioned being in a room with and talking about sexy, it's like, the funny thing about burlesque and what I love about the scene is I've met performers who I adore, who I had a stage image perception of, and then had conversations and hung out with them backstage and went, oh, you're just a person. Mm-hmm. You're just a door. Like, I love Poison Ivory because she is one of the fiercest performers I've ever seen. But backstage, she is such a huge yeah. nerd and dork and mm-hmm. she's a sweetheart. And she's it's just, my sister. I love her. She's yeah. so great. And it, it's just funny to get that perception. Like, when I first met Evelyn Vinyl, Evelyn Vinyl is a performer who presents yeah. very, you know, powerful and mm-hmm. strong and secure. And she's very shy backstage. And until mm-hmm. you get to know her, she's very quiet. And it, it just was always amazing to me because mm-hmm. I just before I started working in the scene I saw it and I was just like oh this is who these people are yeah. and it's not the case the perso- personalities are well rounded and I think that mm-hmm. as you see a uh, performer more you get a sense of that yeah. a real sense of their personality because of course like you said it's very personal yeah well and I mean I also feel like that makes better burlesque is the fact that like after I mean Femme Appeal said that to me after I debuted she was like you know what I appreciate about you is she's like after that act I knew exactly who you were She's That's like, awesome. I knew that I could come up to you and it was like, we could geek out about new wave music. <laughs> we could geek out about, you know, being goofball and all this stuff. And again, like, Femme's my sister. So, like, She's I mean, awesome. I just, like, you know, it's, it's, 
it's that's the way that is. Yeah. But going back to those three performers you were just talking about, is it was actually nice to hear them admit, and I mean, I don't, like, I'm hoping I'm not, like, outing their feelings uh, oh, about I'm things. Oh, I'm sure it's okay. But I'm sure it's okay, too. But, like, you know, it, it was nice to hear that they struggle with this, too. Because, right. like, when I look at those people, I don't see that. Right. So... But, you know, having said that, you know, about the burlesque community, and I mean, I, I include myself in this statement I'm about to say, but, um, and I say this all the time to anybody who holds still long enough, but like, yeah, I think a lot of us were that nerdy kid that nobody wanted to sit next to. Yep. And so it kind of creates that inter, that, what is it, um, ex, introverted extrovert uh-huh. you know someone like, who's introvert by nature but can also be extroverted yeah exactly like or ex- their extrovertedness comes out in different ways right where, i mean i have to admit i'm a very extroverted person like n- like mostly right but i do have moments where i need to kind of escape to my my safe place <laughs> and sure. you know i get in some certain social situations and i get very awkward mm-hmm. and insecure and so I think a lot of us are like deep down like gigantic nerds. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I get kind of mad when people make the you know the cliched stripper like with daddy issues. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it. I'd be lying if that didn't exist. Right. And you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say I had those issues <laughs> myself. But you know, I think one of the good things about burlesque is there are so many good examples of people who have trauma or past trauma and are using the art form to work past it yeah. and have worked past it. Yeah. So, excuse me, that's where I um I just sort of feel like this is that it's art drama therapy. Yes. You know, I mean it's it's really um I mean I told Chris Harder when I took his boy last class Afterwards, I wrote him an email, and I was like, your seven-week class did, and going to see burlesque shows, I think did what years of therapy probably couldn't have done. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I think it's, you know, it comes down to, like, there's people who seek internal validation and people who seek external value, uh, evaluate, uh, sorry, I'm forgetting my words. <laughs> it's all right. Um Validation. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that that's like, I am kind of an external validator. And yeah. um, so, again, like trying to turn that around to be like, no, I am sexy. I am funny. I yeah. am smart. You know, it's, I don't need people to tell me this. Right. Because like, there's the proofs in the pudding. Yeah. And, but then again, the other side of me, that wants to be humble is sort of like, well, that's really arrogant and narcissistic <laughs> and da 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 that. And exactly. it's just like, you know, it, it just, it's weird because it's like, I think all of us, like, again, going back to being a Gemini, like, b- having these two people in me. Yeah. Like, I just, like, it's, one of them is like, you're awesome and the other one's like, no, you really suck. And yeah. I think that everybody has those demons But I think them. it keeps, it does keep you humble to have those. Yes. Because once you just think you're awesome all the time, you yeah. become arrogant to an annoying degree and Yeah, and then else. when you go the opposite direction, the same thing happens. Right. Because then, like, you're just sort of an emotional black hole of, yeah. of whatever. So, I mean, it it's a daily struggle. Sure. It's, I'm like, sometimes it's an hourly struggle. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I just, but again, like, I go to a show and I see people like Joe Boobs or, you know, um, like Femme and, you know, just like all these people who just really like pull a lot of strength from this art form. Yeah. And they really harness it, not only for their own means, but for the audience. Like, totally. even more so. Yeah. So, and I think the strongest shows are the ones where the audience A, sticks around and B, wants to talk about it afterwards mm-hmm. and wants to engage. And I think that's always really great. Absolutely. Um, shifting gears a little bit, um, before we get into your background, I actually want to talk about your show, Homo Erectus, mm-hmm. which, um, um, you produce with Teddy Turnaround, correct? No, no, no. It's just just me. Oh, it's, it is yeah. just you. Yeah, I guess because me. I've always had the context in, back in the day of you, Teddy, and Lucky together. Yeah, yeah. And so in my brain, I'm like, oh, they're... they're. Well, those are, those are core members. Yeah. Those are core members. Like, Lucky Charming actually came up with the name okay. of Homo Erectus. Like, Lucky is brilliant. Like, with <laughs> show names. Like, you know, Fame, Horror, uh, VGL, Five Foot Four Top, uh, Power Strip. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's really sharp about that kind of stuff. And 
and then Teddy is a really good assistant. Like, Teddy's one of those, like, Johnny on the spot, like, what do you need done? Like, this, that, and the other thing. But unfortunately, you know, Lucky moved away. Teddy is taking a break from burlesque, so, I mean, I and has his own life that he's dealing with, so, yeah, it's just me. Okay. Um, And so how did Home Erectus... Core members. Core core members. members. Yeah. So how did Home Erectus kind of come to be, and how did you know when you wanted to make the step from performer to producer? Um, well, the thing is, is that, I mean, I actually come from a production background. Right. Um, I have a BFA and an MFA in costume design or uh, theater design production with a focus on costumes and costume technology. A burlesque performer with and a theater background, yes, you say. Yes, you say. <laughs> so, again, it goes into that, like, you know, I was kind of the backstage person. Right. And, you know, I mean, I know how to sew. I know how to do costume crafts and draw and paint and... Um, so, and organize a show. I mean, I stage managed, I've run sound, I've done makeup, I've done wardrobe, I've done, you know, I've loaded in scenery, built scenery. I mean, all like, you know, kind of very much jack of all trades backstage. So I sort of felt like after I debuted, there was no monthly boylesque show. And I was like, there was a wealth of performers. Sure. And, but, um, and Johnny and Tigger had, had, had done some shows and, you know, at the time it was just not the right time for it. And, you know, I think I was the person for the job. So I came in and I was like, you know, if I can't produce a show, I'm like, you know, I basically need to, to burn my degrees. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I had seen a lot of shows, like I'd watched Calamity Chang's show, which is really brilliantly produced. And, you know, Chris Harder's show was really well produced and, um, Femme Appeal shows and stuff like that. So, like, I mean, it for me, it was very natural. And, um, and so, I mean, I actually felt more comfortable being a producer than being a performer. Oh, wow. Because, okay. well, being a performer is new to right. me. Right, like, sure. I mean, I, I played trombone as a kid. I was a marching band. Um, I always kind of, you know, did little skits and danced and stuff. And I'm also a big ham on the dance floor. So, <laughs> I mean, it's in retrospect, it's all lining up. Like, I've always, like, kind of secretly been interested in being an actor, performer. So, I think it was more or less, like, letting that out. Yeah. And sort of being there to... Um, you know, being giving myself permission to to do it because you know you kind of think that you know only certain people are anointed with those talents, right? And, you know, and it's just like I think the universe was being like, no, this is something that you need to do. Um, and plus, you know, selfishly, like you know, I wanted to provide a platform that I could get booked in because I knew that there was a hesitation from producers to put men in the show, right? And um, you know, unselfishly, I also wanted to provide that opportunity for other people sure. because you know, there's there is a market for this, and yeah. I mean, this is a you know, I mean, bur- boylesque is burlesque. I mean, just with men or male identified people, but like you know, there is a lot of freedom in it though, yeah. like. I mean, we have a little less pressure um, to kind of fit in a box. Yeah. And, you Well, because people going to that show know they're going to see men get naked. Yeah, exactly. Or people who identify as men get naked. Yeah. And, like, so there's that thing you were talking about earlier about the the straight guy who's not comfortable with his feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, they wouldn't go to that show. Or yeah. they would because they want to engage those feelings and yeah. get comfortable, you know, because... It's presented, this is what the show is. Absolutely. And, I mean, also, you know, I'm obsessed with the male form. So, I mean, it's in all its shapes. So, again, like, I wanted... I kind of wanted to combat a lot of um, resentment I had about the gay community here in New York, too. Because... In the gay community, there's a lot of, like, no fats, no femmes, no Asians. Yeah. And um, so there's a lot of racism. There's yeah. a lot of patriarchy. There's a lot of body shaming. Yeah. And, um, again, like I talked about, it, it's like, oh, you're too skinny or you're not hung enough or you're too feminine or right. you're too this or you're too that. And the bear community can be kind of the worst about it in a lot of ways. I mean, the bears are great. I mean, we have a great bear following. And, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like they're all jerks because right. there's some lovely, wonderful teddy bears out there. And I love them to death um but i was very frustrated and you know we live in this world with the apps and the apps are like it's like people treat it like a menu they get on and they're like oh you know um i want a hairy ass and i want somebody that's six foot five with a 10 inch cock and (laughs) oh sorry you know like yeah you you know I would be good enough for today. Yeah. I would be good enough today. Now, if you were looking for a life partner, I can maybe understand being a little bit more specific, but everyone is so entitled to what they want, and nobody wants to compromise. There's a lot of narcissism. There's a lot of entitlement. 
And I find that comes up to be across the entire burlesque community. Like, what I like about some of the smaller shows in the scene, or even the shows that are, are well-produced, is that there's a variety of performer and body type. Yes. And it's like, as someone who also grew up skinny with a hairy ass, it's like... Yeah. Which I don't know that my listeners want to know, but there it is. <laughs> I, I want to know you have a hairy ass. Well, thank so. you, man. <laughs> but it's like it's one of those things where you know. I think what I loved about about your show Homo Erectus is the performers that I see that do it are all over the place. Oh all yeah, all different kinds. Like Johnny Caligula, who's been on my other show, who also has a furry butt, who also has a furry butt, <laughs> um, which he might have outed on the show he was on. I don't remember. Oh yeah, no, he, he and I <laughs> bonded over our furry butts. So. Um, you know, he is not what you would. He's not, you know, super jacked and, and a V-shape. He's not super skinny either. He's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But I think that's just as attractive as anything else. And I think it's important to have a place where people feel comfortable. Absolutely. And, I mean, well, I'm going back to what I was saying is that, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's combating this patriarchy and this, like, narcissism and this entitlement and mm-hmm. sort of turning around and saying, you know... Hey, you know, I'm a faggot that wants to have faggot sex with other faggots that are comfortable <laughs> being faggots. And you know what? I use that word. It's a triggering word. Um, I got called it a lot as a kid. Sure. And But you know what? Now as an adult, I'm taking so much power in it. Because, sure. you know, again, like, you know, I think putting on your profile, no fats, no femmes, no Asians, is essentially hanging up a sign that says, no faggots. Yeah. And that really sucks when it's coming from another faggot. Right. So it just, it's like... Yeah, guys, come on. Like, yeah. Seriously, like I understand it's New York City and there's a plethora of people to pick from. Yeah. And it kind of breeds this ivory tower syndrome where yeah. it's like, you know, you get online, there's a porn star because guess what? They live here. Yeah. And, you know, your profile pops up next to theirs and then people sort of are like, okay, well, yeah, here's a person that's a 10 next to somebody who's like a 7. Yeah. And then suddenly that 7 really becomes a 3 in that person's head. And that's fucked up. Yeah. So that's where it's sort of like you know with homo erectus like i sort of want to be like hey guys look at all of these beautiful men of different flavors body types colors mannerisms gender expressions yeah um that are beautiful and sexual creatures and these people you know this is their life yeah this isn't you know like this isn't a facade this isn't an act and again, like I hate this term, but it's like sort of like you know, audience check your privilege on this a little bit. Like, oh, for sure. You know, if you're like, and especially with the bear community, I get really frustrated because it's like these people who are like six foot five and they like three hundred pounds and they're muscular and they're hairy and I mean they look like that's not a guy you're gonna fuck with. Yeah. So that's a guy that's probably not been called a faggot. That's yeah. probably a guy that doesn't have to worry about his glitter nipples or his makeup on the subway. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, well, I don't understand why people, you know. Know, like you know, a homophobia exists, and I'm like, well, you know, homophobia doesn't exist for you yeah. because no one's going to come up against you know a six foot five gay man that right. could beat the crap out of them. So again, like you know, you deal with like you know a skinny black guy who's obviously super femme. You know, that's a target. Yeah. And so it's like, that's why it's like I turn around to these guys and I'm like, listen, like, we get blasted from the outside world and then you're going to turn around and dismiss this person just because you don't want to fuck them. Yeah. And I was like, but this person's your brother. This yeah. person's your your family in a way. Like this is your community, and like I just don't really feel like there's a sense of that at times. Yeah, it's. I, I feel like a lot of communities. You know, no community is perfect, and it's a bummer. Like I always try and check my privilege because I present as a cis white male, and so I have a lot of privilege. But I'm actually bi, and you know, I married a woman who I love very much, but we present very straight, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's frustrating because. Sometimes you don't feel accepted in certain circles because, mm-hmm. like, well, you don't look gay. What the hell does that mean? Well, you get, like, blasted on both sides. Yeah. Because, like, women get freaked out because you want to sleep with men, but then the men get freaked out because they're like, oh, well, you know, you're really gay and, like, you need to just come out. Yeah, already. you can't be both. And it's like, no, that doesn't exist. But, yeah. you know, the thing where it's like, I guess I get frustrated with bisexual men is that that don't check their privilege. Yes. It's, it's like, okay, well, you get to, you know, in the real world, be, you know, you get all the benefits of being gay, or being straight, sorry, and then you get to come into our world, and then you're fetishized, and then you get to kind of, like, skim the cream off the top of our community and not necessarily participate or deal with the consequences. Yeah. So that's where it's just, like, sometimes when those guys show up, I'm like, oh, 
really, dude? Like, yeah. And then I'm just like, I want to give him a hug because I want to offer support. Right. But then I also am kind of like, okay, well, you know, why don't you try to put yourself in my shoes where it's yeah. like I have to wake up every day and, you know, I mean, like holding my husband's hand on yeah. the subway might be problematic for someone or right. us or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, again, it's like sexuality, gender, it's all complicated. Yeah. And, you know, again, there's But like, that's also why I love the burlesque community because in the right communities within burlesque, it feels like none, all of that stuff washes away and yes. you're just you. And I think as someone, like we were talking before that a lot of people in this community grew up nerdy and mm-hmm. are nerdy, but like... I'm guessing most people like myself, like you grow up seeing these people who you perceive as pretty and pristine and you're like, well, they can't possibly have the same problems I had. And you Mm -hmm. find out that you do and there's this bond. And I think I love the community because, you know, on, for the most part, with some exception, it's a community that brings people together and that Absolutely. you really bond. You know, it's a shame that there are there there are drama. There's drama within the circle, and but that's any circle. I has mean, that. Well, it's a family. And right, families don't always get, get along. along. Yeah, and you know, I've had to remind myself that too because you know, I mean. Burlesque is the burlesque community is one of the first times in my life where I've actually showed up somewhere and I felt like I belonged there. Yeah, totally. Exactly. You know, and and I'm very humbled by that. Like, you know, I mean, when I think about our history, I mean, you know, like Betty Page is my is my like great aunt, <laughs> and I was obsessed with her when I was a kid. Sure. And so like you know to know that I have that bond with her, like Dixie Evans, you know Judith Stein. I just met. Like yeah. I mean, she's seventy year old stripper from Canada, <laughs> and I mean she and I were like two peas in a pod. I'm That's like you're awesome. like my great aunt, like you're a weirdo, and like we had so much in common. And I mean I love seniors. I'm such a, yeah. a granny chaser, <laughs> and I mean and so like I you know I was like two for one special. I mean I got like you know my senior fix, but then I. Also got to like you know it's a stripper and yeah. it's a burlesque performer and so you know I mean going back to like you know we're talking about privilege and we're talking about all the like you know fighting and stuff like that and you know I mean a lot of it is I'm so glad that this stuff is being talked about sure but then on the other hand I really wish that people would realize that it's creating lines between people that really shouldn't exist between people yeah like I think a lot of misunderstandings happen I think that you know there's sort of this like you know that the internet and Facebook and all these things really breed a very narcissistic ground because you know people are profiles and so like you know if you don't like somebody you can just block them or you can friend them and it's like and this person's done and that's actually the epitome of narcissistic behavior right you know and I mean there are people out there that I cannot stand them on Facebook but when they're in front of me I think they're lovely people and it's sort of like okay you're sort of hiding behind this profile you know and masking your insecurities and this is where you feel powerful because again you might be an introvert right and you know it's you can say your piece online but then when it comes to saying it to someone's face it's a very different story well the anonymity of the internet is what really does that it drives Absolutely. me bonkers like I I've grow, I grew up playing video games and I've always loved video games and video games were very much a sitting in the same room with a bunch of your buddies thing mm-hmm. like you don't you, the online community is very recent and the anonymity of having a screen name that's not even your name and then you can call people racial you know, slurs online and there's no repercussions. No fats, no fems, no Asians. And, like, and, and that's it, fine because that's your, quote, preference. preference. But it's, it's just frustrating because if, like, the people who would say horrible things to me online in gaming, for example, would never say that to my face. Mm-hmm. Or it'd be unlikely they'd say it to mm-hmm. my face. But because they're hiding behind a, a picture yeah. and not them, it's not actually them. Well, and it's actually really cowardly. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, well, you know, you're sitting in your home. Yeah. You're sitting in your power center. And, you know, I mean, this is just a two-dimensional, you know, bits of pixels. Yeah. Like, so you know, to them, it's not real. So it just, and so that's where it's like, you know, there are times like, you know, going back to the burlesque community in this issue, is there are times where it's just like, I just wish that people would just like, let's have coffee and just yeah. talk this out. Or let's like, but everybody has their social anxiety issues. So then they're like, well, the anxiety of dealing with that and the stress of dealing yeah. with that and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, you know what? You're an adult. You're an adult. (laughs) Go up, and especially when it happens to me. Sure. Because, you know, I mean, I'm like, I am really a very approachable 
I don't like conflict. Yeah. I really don't. And I mean, I don't want to make people feel bad. Mm -hmm. I don't want to scold people. I don't get off on it. Like, and so it's like, but I am all about resolving conflict. Sure. Diplomacy. Like, and that's where it's like, I'm like, okay guys, let's, let's talk about this. Yeah. And ultimately this is how Donald Trump gets elected. (laughs) Yeah. As I mean, like you get the allies fighting over semantics, vocabulary words, like, you know, it's, it's in, you know, political correctness and social justice warrior stuff. And, you know, I just think in a lot of cases, it's easier for those people to attack um, their allies, Yeah, you know, to win a small battle with somebody who's going to sit and listen to you versus going up against Donald Trump. Yeah. And there's a lot of times when I see this stuff, I'm like, I just want to point at Donald Trump and be like, you know what? That's who we need to be fighting right now. Right. That is where your energy needs to be. You know, this person that said the wrong thing at a show or said something stupid online or, you know, offended your gentle shell of ego or whatever. You know, I mean, I'm not to say, I mean, trauma is real. PTSD is real. And I'm very sensitive to those things. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm also sort of like, you know, we, you know, I say it at nauseum. I'm probably going to say it three or four more times in this interview, but love, <laughs> love is limitless. Yeah. Love is the only thing we can give in this life limitlessly. Like you only have a finite amount of money, time on this earth, resources, even if you own the earth, yeah. you still are limited to how much the earth has to offer you. Right. So, you know, but love, you know, you can give even to people you hate, you can still love them and it doesn't deplete you. It yeah. doesn't, you know, so, and love is the only thing that comes through death. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just like, my grandmother is here right now. And she's so <laughs> proud of me. And she's been dead for, you know, almost 10 years or more than 10 years now. So, like, you know, again, it's like, I just wish that there was more, like, you know, love. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, hey, other human being with the universe inside you. Like, you know, I don't really appreciate that word. But, like, you know, maybe you just didn't know any better. Right. And you know what? That's okay. Yeah. You know, that's that's okay. That doesn't make you an asshole forever. Right, exactly. So, sorry, yeah. that's my soapbox. No, it's fine. I'm, I I appreciate, you know, I always, I always like to know where performers and people that I've known for a long time come from. I mean, like, I've known you for quite a number of years now, but this is probably the first long-form conversation we've ever had. Mm-hmm. We always chat at shows. And it's always nice to kind of, we were talking earlier about, you know, an independent community promoting each other and mm-hmm. supporting each other. And I think that's another thing I like about the Burles community and indie communities in general is that there's a lot of collaboration, yeah. which I think is really important. But um, I wanted to go back um, a couple steps since my other podcast is a music podcast, and I'm always fascinated with the process of burlesque performers choosing their music as someone who hasn't performed but has, of course, thought about it because mm-hmm. you can't be in burlesque 10 minutes without saying, oh, I have an idea for an act yeah, because yeah. it's very it's very collaborative and very easy yeah. to soak up and the energy of. Yeah. And inspiring. And so how, do, when you're creating an act, do you pick a song first and then build an act around it? Do you pick an act and then build a, pick a, find a song for all it? All of the above. It, it, it depends on the uh, act. All of the above. Like, oh, I mean, like going back to the Mulholland Drive thing, I mean, it was like Francine just was like, I want you to do this character. Yeah. So using that as an example, um, you know, then it became, or it was song really you know embodies this so you know the road movie to Berlin by the Might Be Giants like you know I mean I've been listening to that since I was 10 right you know I mean so that's like 26 years of you know having that song in the back of my head like I mean as I said when I was a kid I used to roller skate in my basement and dance (laughs) and I remember when I heard that because that song has that like kind of like really burlesque moment yeah and stuff and I used to like kind of like you know when nobody was looking I would like you know act sexy and stuff like that like being like 11 in roller skates um so you know again like you know it's in retrospect like looking back and being like that was practice yeah like you know and i mean that's the beautiful thing about life yeah that it works that way but then again going back to princess peach like you know long forgotten fairy tale by the by the magnetic fields like i mean i've been listening to that song for a long time and knew i wanted to do something with it it. yeah and then when spurlesque came around i was like suddenly i had a medium to play in so i mean sometimes it's the song like i hear music and i'm like okay this is definitely an act i mean i have a whole Rolodex I yeah. mean, of of acts that I want to do, and then sometimes it's like a producer coming up. Like Joe the Shark loves to challenge me, and I yeah. love Joe the Shark for that reason because yeah. I'm just like Joe is so supportive and a beautiful producer and a genius man, 
and um, he just, you know, he knows that I'm up for it. Right. And he's like, Matt, you know, Stephen King. I'm like, done. You know? <laughs> um, and, or he'll just be like, Matt, I want you to do this Don Quixote act. And oh, so wow. that, like, yeah, we did that for um, the uh, Terry Gilliam show. That's awesome. So, yeah. So, again, like, I mean, I would never have thought of that on my own. Sure. But, you know, I could have very easily turned around and been like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not interested in that. But, you know, it was like, I had no reason to say no. Right. So I was like, you know what? Again, RuPaul's Drag Race Challenge. Yeah. You know, I mean, even if I fail, it's still going to be fine because this is a supportive environment. And if I never do this act again, there's a video of it. It exists. It's that. So... I mean, other times it's like um, a lot of my Halloween costumes became acts. Like, I mean, I was Ash one year before I did From Evil Dead 2. Yeah. And I had that costume. I mean, and it was a good costume. So all I had to do was figure out how am I going to take my clothes off to it. Right. So sometimes having the costume, and when Jose sends me stuff too, it's the same thing. Like, yeah. It's like, okay, well, you just sent me this beautiful Alexander McQueen pantsuit. And <laughs> suddenly, you know, I'm doing a, a duet with my best friend from high school, Suki um, Belmont. And we're, uh, you know, again, I'm like, all right, what am I going to wear? And then suddenly I turn around and I was like, I have this pantsuit. <laughs> <laughs> and this is perfect. So, you know, I mean, it's just, again, it's like sort of having like the toy box, yeah. you know, and then just sort of being like, okay, well, this Lego fits with this Lego, but then we could put a severed baby head on top of it <laughs> and then cover it in blood and then put glitter on it and then put it in the refrigerator for four days. And you know what I mean? Like, sure. Well, I think what's really cool about watching you perform specifically uh, as opposed to other performers is I feel like you're a chameleon as far as the way you become these characters. I think that the strongest moment for it was very recently when um, I did DJ the um, Ouija board show that um, um, Miss Cherry Delight did. Mm-hmm. And you were Vincent Price. And you were Vincent Price. And that was really cool to see as a Vincent Price fan. But it's like I see you disappear into these characters. And I, I really, I don't look at you performing and go, that's Matt Knife as so-and-so. It's I see that character, which is, I think is really cool and I think is a big testament to you and other performers who do really great facial acting when you're mm-hmm. performing. Facial expression, I think, yes, of course, it's about the body and looking at the body, but I feel yeah. like facial expression is really important for conveying a character. Is that something that you just always intrinsically had or is it something that you kind of learned to kind um, of be so expressive? Well, you know, I was really lucky to meet Tigger um Almost immediately. I like love he was at the first show I ever went to, which was Clementine Chang's show at Hotel Chantel. And it was just crazy because, like, I mean, I have video of that show on my iPad and I look at it and, you know, they all sit at the table and it was like Darlinda, just Darlinda, um, Gemini Rising, Stormy Leather, um, Chris Harder, Tigger. Um, and I look at that and I'm just like, those people are all my family now. Yeah, yeah like, right. Those people like blew my mind. Yeah, like, sure. I mean, that changed my life, that show. And, you know, I met Tigger and then, you know, we debuted and then the Boylesque Festival, the first Boylesque Festival that Jen Capay had produced and Daniel Narduccio, um, was happening. Chris had us do our group number for that. And, um, Tigger taught a, uh, acting class. And the class was really Tigger's philosophy on what boylesque is, which is was brilliant to listen because I mean Tigger like talked like just for an hour and a half. Sure, sure, yeah. And um, and it was a fountain of of wisdom. Like, and I mean, I just sat there like writing everything (laughs) he said down and absorbing and absorbing. And one of the things that Tigger said immediately was um, commitment. It's all about committing. Like, if you're going to go out there and be Vincent Price, you have to be Vincent Price from the beginning of the act to the end. end. Yeah. And you can't, like, waffle on that. And, you know, and then I was really lucky to meet Femme Appeal. And, um... I mean, Femme Appeal is just batshit crazy. She's absolutely and, nuts. Yeah, I love it. and I mean, I'm batshit crazy too, so sure. we're two peas in a pod. <laughs> so, I mean, but Femme is like, I sort of feel like the epitome of... Um, of commitment. Yeah. You know, I mean, she has so unapologetically committed to being a weirdo. Yeah. And she just goes out there and she owns it. And, and again, it goes into that owning your body, owning your, like, it's that radical self-acceptance. So I think a lot of it is just, and sometimes it is like, you're just grabbing the audience by the balls. And yeah. being like, no, this is happening. Yeah. This is happening and I am not going to stop until that music's over. Yeah. And... 
<laughs> you know, you're going to feel things. And, you know, that's, that's, you know, what you feel is really up to you. Sure. But I'm going to guide you through it slightly. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's commitment. Um, Chris Harder, one of his first notes with me immediately was, like, face. Because, like, when I would go out there, I would just be serious. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I was like, well, Chris, this is a really serious act. And he was like, well, think about how, like, kind of fucked up it would be if you just suddenly smiled. Yeah. And then when I thought about that, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of try to be very, very conscious. So thank you for that compliment. Sure. Because that's always something I feel like I have to work on more. Yeah. And it's, so it's, like, it's nice to hear that that's a strong suit. So, again, it's challenging yourself yeah rising to the occasion and being fearless and that's the thing that tigger said too is it's like it's all about being fearless yeah because you know freedom is no fear yeah it's embracing in the face of everything that terrifies you it's embracing it and you know Mm -hmm. just moving past it it's how you grow i mean that's how like you know suddenly like when you face a fear it doesn't rule you anymore you know like i mean i understand some things are are harder to face but you know, it just it's the rewards are so great. I think for at the sure end of the day. Um, I also like when talking to artists of any kind. I like the struggle of like not being able to complete or finish something. So I imagine you have tons of ideas for acts that you have not pulled to fruition. Yeah, you're smiling already, so I know that that's true. So are there like are there is there a particular type of act or a particular subject matter you've wanted to do an act for that you just can't find the right fit yet? Um. It's not that there's no fit because it's I mean just, that's the thing about having homo erectus. Yeah, I mean I can do whatever the fuck I want. You know? Right. Like it's so like, and you know I think a lot of producers know now too that like you know if they just let me be myself they're gonna get what they want. Right. So but I think what it really boils down to is its resources. Yeah. Because you know I mean I'm not an independently wealthy person, <laughs> and you know I mean a lot of it you know the costumes cost money. I mean I do get to save money on labor because right. I can just make my own stuff but you know materials still make take time and or cost money and then there's the time that you have to take to make the things and so it really comes down to like just the hours in the day yeah because I mean if I was able to do this full time with a pot of money to like kind of pull out of I, there would be I, nothing you couldn't do. There would do. be nothing I couldn't do. Yeah. And, like, I mean, and I mean, I can't guarantee... I mean, I have over 30 acts now. Oh, wow. And, I mean, I'm not going to be arrogant and say that they're all high-quality, like, you know, Behoff-worthy. <laughs> um, but... Um, so you know, so essentially, yeah. it's you you have this laundry list of ideas, yeah. and it's just a matter of getting to them all. Eventually. Yeah, it's getting to them all, and it's also just being able to fund them. And sure, then, you know, also the opportunities, like yeah. you know, assuming that like you know I can you know there's only so many homo erectuses a year and right. there's only so many you know to producers that might be willing to do my like crazy faggot clown act or right. something like that so you know it, yeah it's just it's it's you know that's kind of refreshing to hear though because a lot of times it's like oh i don't know where i can do this or i can't pull that pull it together but it's kind of inspiring to know that you're a performer in a place where it's like i have all these ideas and the only thing stopping me is the little literal physically space and time and money and i think that's kind of cool because you know i've talked to many artists who struggle with you know oh i can't like if you're a musician of this chord isn't right or i can't come with lyrics and so it's kind of cool that you know you have this wealth of creativity i think that's really awesome well thank you i mean i've been i'm very blessed to have it and yeah. that's the that's the thing is i sort of feel like you know having this gift i like i just i feel like because I paint too, uh-huh. and you know, painting is the same way. Like I mean, I'm just like I just feel like I have all of this stuff to get out, and you know, I only have a finite amount of time to make that happen. Sure. So you know, I mean, I, it's very legacy based. It's very, um, you know, it's like I, and I also just it's like almost a desperation because I feel like if I don't get it out there, that person that it's going to reach right. isn't going to like get to see it sure. or you know I'm not going to be able to get it out into the universe so that it you know it can just exist sure it's a lot like having children I mean I don't know what it's like to have children but like <laughs> I mean it just sort of feel like art and, and kids are the same thing where it's like you know you create this thing and then you put it out into the universe and then it's no longer for you it's sure. for the world yeah so I mean I think parents get like that with their kids eventually it's like you know your kids are raised like yeah. you I have mean, to let them be themselves yeah now this is a 
this is a gift to the world. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, I think, like, it's always interesting to me when, like, you know, creating podcasts or DJing and, like, putting this stuff out there. Like, there's this expectation for me. Like, I, it's funny and it's so stupid. I've put out tweets that I'm like, this is going to kill. This is hilarious. I'm going to get so many retweets. And I put it out and crickets. And then I put something out, something else that I was like, oh, it's just something that popped into my head. Like 10 retweets and all of these favorites. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's funny how people perceive what you do. Same with the podcast. Like certain episodes they put out, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a hit. People are going to love this. Mm-hmm. And like, it just kind of crickets. And then other things you put out that you're like, oh, you know, I wasn't at my best. And yeah. the people get so excited mm-hmm. about it. And I think it's really interesting that how art is perceived and interpreted. Mm-hmm. And that it's really, it's person to person. It's completely different. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, having said that, I think that that's why it's important to just, like, you know, so many artists get in their heads. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of artists are perfectionists, so they're like, I can't do this until it's perfect. And I'm like, well, you know what? You just shot yourself in the foot. Right. Because it's never never, going to be perfect. And then also, like, you know, again, like, you're also working in a vacuum. You're working in your own head. So, again, going back to what I said earlier is that, you know, the audience is the final layer. So sometimes you just have to get it out there because that that thing that's stumping you. Yeah. It's like sometimes, like, you know, my husband's really good about this. It's like, he'll come home and I'll be like, honey, like, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? And he's like, oh, like, why don't you try it this way? And I'm like, that's genius. Of yes, course, why it. didn't I think of that? But yeah. because it's like, you know, I've, I'm in a vacuum with it. Whereas yeah. he's come in, this isn't his baby. Yeah. And he can just be like, you know what? Like, I have a fresh set of eyes and I have a whole universe inside me with experience. So I can just, you know offer this up so it's just like I, mean, I was really lucky in school like uh, my mentor in undergrads name is Dean Mogul and I mean he's just a brilliant genius artist and I mean he just like you know he just looked at me one day he's like Matt not everything you're gonna do is gonna be a masterpiece but you know what <laughs> everything you're gonna be closer to being yeah. a master because of this this yeah. is a stepping stone this is a rung in the ladder so you just have to like you know I mean you know why are we making art are we making art because we want everybody to stand around and tell us we're pretty and we're awesome or do we make art because we're artists and that's what we have to do right and I mean I think it's column A column B of course like, it's not mutually exclusive yeah yeah I mean but like I mean I kind of feel like it's it's again it's that middle ground yeah it's that like you know it's like you know self validation versus external validation sure like, you have to like you know, just get little it bit out, of just done, and like going going back to the internet too. I think the internet is guilty for it because you know we were so Facebook feed oriented. Yeah, like and it's like. All right, well, like, the example I'll give you is in 2009, I did a painting of Joan Crawford from Mommy Dearest, and... Nice. That's been hanging on my wall for nine years. Yeah. And I just recently reread Mommy Dearest, so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to post that picture on Instagram again. I have posted the picture of that painting ten times since 2009, and crickets yeah and then all of a sudden my friend kib was like oh my god i have to have that and when he showed up at my apartment to pick it up um i flipped it around and i was like oh i did this in 2009 he's like oh i thought you just did that and i'm like no this painting's like <laughs> and so that again that goes into i mean it goes into that perception thing like yeah. it's like okay well you know i mean you have to kind of constantly remind people that like you know because you just never know who sees what you know, or if they've blocked you or, you know, and then suddenly you make up and they've unblocked you and then there's this thing. So that's why it's like, it goes to the sands of time also. Like, you know, I'm, you know, I, I, when I'm no longer on this earth, you know, I mean, I could be totally forgotten or, you know, 50 years from now, somebody comes across my YouTube channel or dusts off my painting somewhere and you become the most relevant thing in the world. Sure. So it's like, it's so tricky. It's so it's so tricky. <laughs> All right. So before we wrap up, I would like to give you a chance to promote what's coming up for you. Um, this will be out before the end of October. So if you want to go over some shows you're, that are coming up as well as, um, you know, talk about where people can find you on the Internet and find your stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, before we wrap up, I'd like you to be able to kind of promote the thing that you do, which is why I have you here. Oh, great. Well, um, you know, as I said, I'm a painter, so I'm available for commissions. Um, I can, you know, I'm pretty much open for whatever that entails. Um 
I uh, it's October, so I'm, it's a busy season for me. So you can see me um, at the Winnipeg Burlesque Festival. I'm headlining. Oh, that's amazing! Um, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really really excited. I'm really honored to be asked to to headline a festival. That's and really cool. I mean, I just love Canada. Like, <laughs> I mean, the Canadian burlesque scene is so fucking cool, and the Canadians are so chill. They're great, and yeah. they they know how to have fun. And um, so I'm really really excited to do that. So that's uh, next week. And then the following week, I'm doing Petit Renard's show, uh, the Neil Gaiman tribute. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing Florence DeLee's show on Halloween, which is at Rock Bar. It's like a variety show with dragon burlesque. Um, God, there's so many. I'm forgetting <laughs> them right now. Um, I'm doing a politics show uh, right before the election. Amazing. Um, I'm doing my Donald Trump act. That's <laughs> uh, awesome. Oh, God, what else is there? Um, I know I just did Hotsy Totsy, which I'll always promote and I love. Uh, the Stephen King show was brilliant. Um, and where can... I, I'm assuming you'll show listings online. On Facebook, yeah. yeah. If you Facebook friend me, um, Matt Knife uh, is my page. And then the Facebook name police got me. So it's funny, my legal name profile is less of my legal name than my Matt Knife profile. <laughs> so it's Matt Z. Kessler. Uh, Z is actually, yes, my middle name. Uh, Zare after my grandparents. Um, yeah, I love it. Again, my grandmother I talked about earlier is, you know... A, an inspiration. So she, oh my god, she just like was one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met, and like that's awesome. Oh my god, she's such a wonderful woman. She'd be so proud of me. I know she's proud of me. <laughs> um, I'm on Instagram. I love Instagram. Matt Knife Three. Um, constantly posting pictures of my paintings, um, other people, uh, whatever I'm up to, <laughs> makeups. Um, yeah, or you can send me an email at mattknife3 at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate thank it. You for this, having me. this has been a pleasure. You know, you're an artist that I've always admired and enjoy working with, and so it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, the last thing I would ask is we have a saying on this show and my other show, and it's music is life and life is good. I would love for you to do that sign off for the show today. Okay. Um, music is life and life is good, and love is limitless. <laughs> If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.